Hello, everyone, and welcome back to One on One with the Canon podcast show brought to you by WCANmedia.com, where tomorrow's services are here today. And with me on today's program is Linda, and we have our special guest by the name of Laura Cowan. And what is your profession? I'm a domestic violence advocate. Okay, we're going to talk about that, women with domestic violence problems, all this and much more right here on One on One with the Canon podcast show. Coming your way right after this. Greetings. I'm Samuel Hampton II, producer at WCAN-TV. WCAN-TV is currently looking for quality programming for 30 to 60 minutes. If you have a message that you would like to share to the world, please contact me at 440-836-4591 or at tvwcan at yahoo.com. Thank you. Hello. My name is Shelly Mathis and I am CEO and founder of Shelly Mathis Counseling Services. We specialize in mental health, trauma, and also substance abuse with an expertise in depression and anxiety for individuals, groups, couples, marriage and families, and also child and adolescents. If you're in need of assistance, give us a call at 330-577-8548. Thank you. Hi, I'm Joseph with Power to Become, an executive director with the John Maxwell team, bringing transformational training around the globe, making a difference when it makes a difference. We want to connect with you. Go to power2become.org or .com and connect with us now. Hi, my name is Dr. Marlene Carson, and I am a survivor of domestic minor sex trafficking. What is a survivor, you ask? Well, I survived sex trafficking as a child. I thrive in business and ministry, and I'm here to help you revive your dead dreams, visions, and purpose. If you would like to connect with a survivor community, please reach out to www.rahabshopeofohio.org. That website address again is www.rahabshopeofohio.org. And welcome back to One on One with the Canon Podcast Show. Laura, before we get started, I want to ask you something. Mm-hmm. Who is Laura Cowan? Wow, who is Laura Cowan? Well, single mom of three. Um, I work at previously, uh, uh, well, currently, I work with Cuyahoga Metropolitan Housing Authority as their domestic violence advocate, and I volunteer at the uh, Domestic Violence Center and the Ray Crisis Center. Okay, so a question, what is domestic violence? Well, domestic violence, yeah, it's a form of power and control that one uses on the other partner to keep them in line or at bay, if you will. I mean, uh, you you have those healthy relationships and you have the unhealthy relationships, and that definitely is a toxic. And so you use a key word, power control, so we can attribute that to a psychological influence. Yeah. With one person being dominant over another person and using the power of suggestion through violence. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. The different types of abuse that they use, uh, anywhere from physical abuse that everybody sees, okay. but there's the emotional abuse that people don't let's, see. Let's, let's target zero in on that one denominator, mm-hmm. emotional abuse. Give me some examples of that. Well, you got under emotional abuse, you have uh, the abuser. He can have what uh, name calling, verbal, you know, intimidation, uh, 
um, keep the person in fear, uh, kind of count on their time, where they're going, how long they've been, uh, keep them isolated from their family and friends. Those emotional types of abuse, always making them look like they're they're at fault and uh, the other partner is never doing anything wrong. So is there a difference between abuse, neglect, and exploited? For a person, is there a difference between those three things? Well, they're almost tied together, but it's definitely a, a, a separation. Neglect, that's just somebody really just don't care at all. They just do as they will, give you what they want if will, take from you if, if will. But abuse could be the same thing, too. You'll have somebody who actually, in this case with domestic violence, they cared for you at one time, or at least they stayed. Okay, so what caused the change? Yeah, what caused the change? Exactly, because, you know, in the beginning, everything looks great. But it does flip. And I guess that, too, is from not really knowing a person well, you know, really, really analyzing them and being around them well. Because a um, abuser is it's a learned behavior. They don't just wake up one day and be an abuser. Okay, so you said that is a learned behavior. Mm-hmm. Conditioning. Conditioning. It's what they've seen or what they went through in That's their past. It. And yeah. Okay, so, let me ask this question then mm-hmm, real quick, Laura. Mm-hmm. So, do they call you personally for help and then what type of help can you render to a person that has mm-hmm. these types of problems? Yes, they do. Well, with my job, uh, I, I usually look at the uh, 24-hour log and I see the domestic violence over the, the weekend or over the, the, the concurrence of a night and I'll reach out to them to see what assistance they need. Sometimes they need a restraining order. Sometimes they need to be re- relocated to another property. Okay, hang away. on. One question. Let, mm-hmm. me, let me jump in here. Yeah. You said a log. Is this log in real time or is it uh, already written out for you? Or does it happen in real time? No, it, it's already written out. So okay. It's usually a 24-hour log from okay. the night before. And how do they get that information or that data on the log? Well, it's through our CMHA police department. So uh, a lot of time when our residents call for help. It goes through CMHA, not Cleveland uh, Police Department. And uh, the officer responds. And when they respond, they of course, they do a, uh, a report. And I usually get that report the next morning and follow up with the victim. Okay, so, so no individual just call themselves to let you know that people are abusing them. They don't just call in to you. They uh, have to go through the police department. No, I get a little mixture of both. Yeah, yeah I've got the, the 25-hour log, and then I've had some that call in directly to me as well. And then after five, when you're not at work, they still I, call you? They still call. Like okay, so let's let's call. do an actual yeah. mock-up. You know, somebody's calling you. So Mm -hmm. they call you, my husband beat me, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So what do you say then? Well, I tell them, first of all, are you safe now to talk? Because sometimes they might not be in a good location to continue the conversation. But if they are, I I ask them, you know, different questions like, you have children? Do you know where you want to go? Do you you have a place that, you know, a relative or somewhere you can stay? If they don't, I can connect them with the, the domestic violence shelter and get them out of that situation right away. And then we proceed from there once they're safe. Uh, as far as getting a restraining order or anything else they may need down the line, uh, especially with courts or family courts. So we have so many people that are in domestic violence. Yeah. Do we have enough houses to house them, mm. you know, give them homes? Unfortunately, no, because a lot of times when they call the domestic violence center, 
they're sometimes they're full. So oh, they you have, are. Yeah, they're full. Believe it or not, they really need more housing. But that's another red tape issue with the government and funding. But do you have do you you have other organizations, little small grassroots organizations that does have little safe homes? And okay. I connect where well, I have those contacts as well, and I use those too. Well, let me ask, let's reiterate. Let's, let me mm-hmm. ask another question. What are some of the common triggers or causes of domestic violence? Well, I tell you, with this pandemic lately, it was it was incredible. But usually, some of the triggers it, it depends. It could be financial, you know, economic, and you know, maybe he's not working or she's not working. Money is not flowing like it should be. Let me cut in. You mm-hmm. said, how does COVID nineteen relate relates to domestic violence? It's, yeah, that how was does that happen. That was a critical point because now you have uh, you you have the victim pretty much in with their abuser twenty four seven. Okay. When we went on shutdown, uh, usually the victim's outlet could be school, could be going to work, could be going to the library, could be going to a movie just to get out the house. But all those things now were shut down. So you have them, even in schools with the kids, the kids had to stay home. Well, we know that there these people know that there are abusers. These people mm-hmm. are abusing them. Why can't they just get away and mm-hmm. just leave for good and don't go back? Yeah, you hear that question all the time. Why do women stay? And it could be a combination of different reasons. Mostly fear. They're scared because once they and they, you have to take threats critical. You you get the uh, abuser said he will kill you no matter where you go. I'll find you. I hurt I hurt your family. So that's like human trafficking. The that, same yeah. technique. Is same technique. Scared, just keep you on that's that power and control again to keep you under bay. And then another reason could be financial. Maybe she doesn't have the support and the money or the, maybe the family contacts. You know, some family don't want to get involved. So actually, your family will deny you. Are you saying that? Well, not really deny, but maybe not really want to get involved or maybe they know him and you know the abuser will try to manipulate the situation and make him look like he's a really good person and you're the crazy one if you remember that show with tina turner right remember yes, mom right. kind of just threw tina under the bus because I, I bought her a house oh it can't be all that bad tina why don't you just stay with him you know so yeah you get that kind of situation wow yeah okay uh, let me ask you this how uh has your experience with domestic violence shaped your outlook and your perspective on life wow well i I used to look at it as doom and gloom all the time, but there is some hope because there are victims that you're actually able to get help. They don't return because you get some women who do return back to the abuser and uh, they go on with their lives. You get some good stories, good outcomes afterwards. And so, you know, there's hope, you know, you can help and uh, it's a better quality of life because I tell them they don't deserve this. So what made you become an advocate for domestic violence? Why did you decide to do this? Wow, because I, too, was a, a victim of domestic violence, and I was blessed enough to get out that situation. How long did it last? Oh, boy, a couple of years, I would say. But and you realized what was going on, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and the same, uh, should we say, uh, chemistry applied to you, too. Mm-hmm. You just, okay, mm-hmm. where am I going to go? Is my family going to help me out? Yeah. Involved? How am I going to make a living? And et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera, right? et cetera. And I was all the way in California at the time. My family was back here in Cleveland, so you, you got any? that gap at, what, three? 
thousand miles away from each other. You have any children then? I at had that two, time? two at the time. Yes, I had two uh, at the time. How old were they when this was happening? Mm, I would say three and six years old. Did they realize what was Not going on? Not the three-year-old, but the six-year-old. The six-year-old did. I was just wondering. Yeah, he was uh-huh. very aware of what was going on, and he knew, you know, that wasn't his dad, and he knew that um, the pain and suffering I was going through, and him, him, to him himself was being abused too. Is that right? Oh. Yeah, yeah. And so I knew I had to get out of that situation, but get out alive and safely. So how did you do it, if I may ask? Oh, my gosh. It was just a combination of a few things. I've tried prior before, and uh, nothing seemed to work. But this last time, you know, I gave it to God. I just prayed on it. And I started writing little little notes, little pieces of paper I found in, in where I was at in the garage. Because he, he put us in that garage to keep us from leaving. So, you, wait a minute. Your residence was in the garage? Yeah, at the time. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, he knew I tried to leave several times before. So, I guess he snapped, you know. <laughs> so, so what, before... Was it, hang on. Was it a bed in the garage? And It was like a little mat on the okay. floor. And uh, that was it. Was this during the, the winter time, springtime, fall, summer? Mm, I would say April. So. Okay, so the conditions, environmental conditions, yeah. were favorable. They weren't favorable, Not right? really, no. no. Cold? It or... would get cold at night, especially in Cali, yeah. It'd be warm during the day, but freezing cold at night. Did you have problems with the natives inside the garage, little bugs? <laughs> no, but we did have a little pet mouse. Oh. <laughs> Believe it or not, he came up under the door a lot. And Lynn said, I feel you, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and we made eye contact, but I would never bother him, and he wouldn't bother us. So your, your children was with you also in the garage? Exactly. My son and my daughter, yes. Okay, let's let's do the great escape. What happened? Okay. How did you get out? Well, I was able to write those notes and keep them on me. I told my son if anything ever happens to me, because I had a feeling we were we were going to die. I really did. I just didn't know which one of us first, because I noticed he was changing dramatically with his appearance. His stomach started extended because of lack of food. Uh, his little arms were so small you could put your hand around his arm. Mm-hmm. So he you didn't know. feed you all. No, only when he wanted to. Only oh. yeah. He used that technique as well. and uh, So there was nowhere that you could go around the area. I mean, you never did go to the store. You never mm-hmm. went. Mm-hmm. He would take me sometimes with him uh, to the store, but he would leave the children there. By themselves? Knew, by themselves in the garage because he knew then I, I wouldn't to try to do anything. Yeah, and leave my children there alone. So, I wouldn't try to escape. So let's do the great Moses Exodus. How did yes. you get out of Egypt? Ah, so that letter that I had written through the through the months and I kept it in my underwear at night so he wouldn't see it and so it was one day a letter came for me it was a package and uh, they took it back because I couldn't retrieve it obviously they just stuck the note on the door well he was so curious he wanted to know what it was so he got me out the garage he took me into town to the post office a little small town and I'm standing here in the post office in line and I'm wondering how can I get help you know because he's right behind me Oh. and I'm, I'm scared to death and I got this letter on me and I said to myself Lord well, what can I do and I dropped the letter maybe it's handed to somebody well, he 
he see it? And luckily, somebody came up in line and started talking to him. Just enough time to distract him. So when I got up to the clerk with my little slip that came for the package, I looked behind my shoulder and he wasn't looking. So I reached inside my underwear. Now, I know she's probably, the clerk is wondering, what am I doing? But she didn't say anything. And I pulled out the letter and I handed it to her over the counter. She took it right away and she put it up underneath so he wouldn't see it. She Did she read it? something. No. Okay. She saw him and she saw me making eye contact looking back. So she knew she picked up on something was wrong. So how many years was that that you stayed there with? Um, about two years, about two going on three years three in that years. situation. Yeah. So what happened after she got the letter? Well, we, we got the package. I was on my way out to the door, and he was right behind me, and I looked back at her, and all she did was just nod. Oh. She, that was it. She Then she must have read it real quick. Yeah. So, I, okay. Okay, yeah. Laura, what did you put on the letter? Oh, it was like a 26-page letter. I was just writing everything that was happening to us, how we were being abused, where we were located. I didn't know exactly where we were, but I tried to draw like a little map on there. Everything you can think of, my mom's name, my, my sister's information, if you know, anything I could, I wrote a lot of information on there, but especially what he was doing to all of us. Okay. So now. how long did it take after you wrote that letter, she received it, that you got help? Well, when he came back to the house, put me right back in the garage. And I, I was hesitant to tell my son anything because I didn't want to get his hopes up. And I, we waited and waited. And how long did you wait? Oh, gosh. I would say that very next morning. It was early in the morning, though, like about Four or five o'clock in the morning, I heard a car pull up because you can hear a pin drop up there because it was rural area. And then the next thing I know, I heard feet walking on the gravel. Then I heard door knocking. Boom, 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 boom. And it was the police. Okay, how many was there? One or two? Or? I was about two officers at the time. One was still near his vehicle. Two were at the door. Okay. And when they came to the door, I, I heard the kids inside, his children, saying, Daddy, Daddy, police at the door. And he finally came to the door. And I could hear conversation. I heard my name. The next thing I know, the door shut. So he went back on the side where I was to the garage. And he opened the door and says, Police are out here and asking for you. Do you know anything about this? I go, I don't know anything. Well, get out here and see what they want. Get them off my property. So I went to the door. He was right behind me. And there was Officer Fogle. And he says, yes, you're Laura Cowan? I go, yes, I want to talk to you about it. And then I started looking like behind me mm -hmm. again, like I did at the post office. And he picked up on He goes, I want to talk to you alone. Can you come out here? And then he went crazy. Okay, was, hang on. Yeah. Now, now, he went crazy. What, yeah. did he, what did he do? He started yelling and screaming, you can't do this. She you can't, she can't be alone. Who are you people? You got a search warrant? Why are you here? You know, that kind of thing. So he had his other deputy to hold him to the side. And Officer Fogel took me to the side of the house. And he told me, we got a letter from the post office. Are you in, are you in trouble? And I said, yes, I am. And my children are still in that garage. And we need help. So he called for backup. And then the place was surrounded. Then what did he do? Oh, God. They placed him uh, in handcuffs and put him in the back of the squad car. And that's when he went in and got my children. And they went in and talked to the rest of his children, his own children. And they found out that, yeah, they were all being abused. And when they saw the conditions inside the home and everything, yeah, that was enough for them. Wow. So not only were you an advocate for yourself and your yeah. children, you helped out those other children. Yes, yes, indeed. I tell you, because they've been in that situation way before, you know, I met them. And they was always, that was their dad, you know. But they knew what was happening. They knew, but they thought it was normal. They little kids. So. 
uh, let's 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 back up a little bit. He's in the police car, sitting in the back. Yeah. Now, and I'm going to ask this: mm-hmm. You had to psychologically speaking, you had to hawk up. Say, now, nah, how how now, nah, Brown Cow? I mean, you had to feel good about that, didn't you? No, you didn't. No, believe it or not, I was scared. You were still scared, but I you was had still scared. But you was rescued. Mm-hmm. But you I were still had scared. That fear. I had that fear. He was such a nutcase, and he had so many weapons around. But he was in he was in handcuffs. Yeah, he was in handcuffs. Okay. But when you're like that, you just don't know until that person's driven off and driven away. And you get a bust out of there. And you just you think of the, the worst thing ever that could happen. He could pull a gun from an officer and shot at us. He, he was know? in handcuffs in the back of the seat. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trembling. I was trembling so bad, I tell you. I was shaking. I couldn't even hold my head. Now, how long ago was this? Ah, gosh. This was my daughter, youngest one, is 23 years old now. So 23 years ago. 23 years ago. Yeah. Are you, okay, are you married now? I didn't ask that. No, okay. no, no. Okay. Not, no, I'm just, uh, no. <laughs> so after that, you decide that you don't want to be married, huh? I just, uh, that's another topic, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You just don't because of the because of the psychological condition mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. of this relationship, it yeah. kind of spills over. Yeah. Okay, you want to okay, if I do this, I'm gonna make sure this never ever happens again on yeah. God's green earth. Yeah. So it gives you this hesitation, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Trust factor and all yeah, everything. So everything. I can understand this. So what are some of the common mis- misconceptions people have about domestic violence? Because that yeah. was one they wouldn't understand. I mean, they wouldn't even believe that that happened like that. Yeah, it's some that. that that was a crucial, that was a big one. And there's some that's not as bad, but there's some results to death. So, you know, I've been to many visuals. The women have lost their lives due to domestic violence. And a lot of people don't think, you know, unless they're in it, they don't think it's all that bad. But when they're in it, they see. Or they know if they have a family member who's in it. So what understand. is the persecution or, seriously, say, prosecution or jail time for individuals like this? Uh, is it like mm-hmm. 2% they get prosecuted or do they get away, they walk away? free or do they really mm-hmm. lock them down? Yeah, I would say every state is different. Ohio does seem to convict their their abusers. They do, but then you have a few that seems to finagle through the system and do get out maybe because they may, may not have priors or whatever. But you know, before. After domestic abuse they get out? Yeah, after domestic abuse. Now is it their mm-hmm. restraining order against uh, you know, the vict- against them with the victim? Yes, that stays in place though. They have to stay 500 feet away from the victim's home, work, wherever. Uh, social media contact, yes, that can stay. And do they submit to those ordinances? Uh, some do and some don't. Some think it's just a piece of paper and still try to reach out and contact. So the young man that held you in bondage, is he, how many years did they put him in jail? Uh, for what he did to all of us, and it was about 25 charges, and they all stuck from domestic violence, child abuse, child endangerment, false in prison, kidnapping. I mean, he got he got uh, seven consecutive life terms. Seven mm-hmm. consecutive mm-hmm. life terms. Yeah. Seven yeah. times seven is forty nine. Yeah. Four hundred and ninety years. Yeah. He's gone. He's gone. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to ever look over my shoulder again. Ever. He's still there right now, mm-hmm. as we have exactly. uh, on this program. That's right. That's yeah. that's quite incredible. Now you experienced all of this, but yet you have the ability mentally to help someone else? It didn't take, it wasn't that quick. I would say, you know, once I got out of that situation, we were 
were placed in a shelter, and then I, I wanted to go back home. So they they was able to uh, take me and my children and send us back to Cleveland. But there in Cleveland, uh, we, we got therapy for me and my children. We were in therapy for, oh, I would say, for over six years. Six years? Mm-hmm. From Beach Brook, the Bellflower, you wow. name it. We took it all. And uh, I was especially worried about my son, you know, by him being a male, too. I, I didn't want him to grow up to be a perpetrator himself. Right. So yeah. what were some of the techniques of this uh, therapy? What did they, t- they just mm-hmm. talk to you? Yeah, I mean, especially with the children, to try to bring it out them, because they clammed up a lot. You have to kind of do some role play with them. They did things, they, you know, to kind of bring it out, because they were having nightmares, bedwetting, uh, lack of energy. Um, they couldn't eat, sleep. A lot of things was going through them, and they had to be placed on medication, too, for a little while, too. So, so how are they doing right now? Oh, they're doing great now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my son is 29, my daughter is 26. And what does he do? Um, he works in Seattle right now, and he's in retail. And my daughter, she works right now at Amazon. And then I, well, I have a third daughter, and I didn't we didn't get a chance to even talk about that situation. Uh, I was raped okay. while I was in that garage, and uh, that is his child, my youngest daughter. He doesn't even know, does he? He knows. You know? He hasn't seen her. No. Oh. How old is she? She's now 23. And what does she do? Uh, she's at home with me. She was working uh, at, at a restaurant, but due to the pandemic, you know, she's been applying and looking for other things now. But uh, she's home with me. She's the only one home. Back to the garage. That was yeah. actually your residence. You didn't stay in the house at all. No, no, no. It may be a, a year or two before. Yeah. But no, when he saw I was trying to escape too many times, he tried to, he said, I'll fix you kind of stuff. Situation. So did it so, did it rain or get cold in that garage? Oh yeah, it was freezing and like I said at nighttime it was very cold in there. There was no running water or anything. You couldn't wash up. Okay. You couldn't do anything like that. Uh, I couldn't use the restroom. We had to urinate in little buckets. That was in so you the couldn't corner. even come into the house. Mm-mm. We wasn't allowed to stand now. So what do you think the neighbors were thinking? Didn't they know this was well, happening? Well, that's why he he moved a lot, but that's why he moved. And his last location was real rural. It was like Indian reservation or some like Amish country out here. So houses are far between, a lot of land. Oh. So people didn't know a lot of things that was going on in there. Yeah. Oh, if they only knew. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, but life is now what grand for you, right? Uh, life is life is okay. Yes, it's way well, better than what me, it was. Well, the way the way me and you was talking <laughs> prior to coming into here, the post production. I mean, the pre production program. <laughs> we was having a good time, right? Yeah, we having a good time. Okay. Yeah, life is life is great. I can't complain at all. Now, I'm just glad. Does I'm the Peter. children do they reminisce about this event, or they don't even? Talk Ooh, about they don't even talk about it. Every now and then, you know, especially when I do news articles and things like that with the news. That's what I want to ask you. Yeah. How do they, they do. feel about you doing that? Because you're keeping it alive now. Yeah, I'm keeping it keeping it going. So and, how do they feel uh, about that? My daughters are very supportive. My son has doesn't want anything to do with it. He's like, oh no, I don't want to talk about it. I remember one show we were invited on, he wouldn't even come. He just didn't want any parts, you know. It was just too much of a trigger for him. Too much pressure. Yeah, it was too much. Yeah. Okay, uh, get ready to close out here. Uh, what advice, resources do you have mm-hmm. for someone who thinks, okay, yeah. they might be a victim of domestic violence? Yeah, you know, 
It's real, people. It really is real. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore the warning signs and take threats seriously. You know, uh, there is help out there. You're not alone. There's resources available that will help you get out that situation. But you got to make the move to want to be able to leave. So I tell people and I tell the family members of people, too, don't judge them. You know, because people are so quick to judge. Just be supportive there for them. Be there for them because eventually when that light bulb clicks and they're ready to go, they're going to go. They're going to go. Okay. Well, that's it, my friends. The old clock on the wall says that's all. We thank you for being part of one-on-one with the Kellen Podcast Show. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please send all correspondence to Podcast at yahoo.com. And always remember, the power is within you. Take care.